kids are looking for us, you know, they're, they're like, Hey mom, Hey dad, look what I can do. Or even if they're not being vocal, you can bet that they are looking up from that slide or that swing. And every time they look up to look at you, look at something else, it sends them a message, whether we want to admit it or not. And it's not easy to talk about. And that's why I, Straight off the bat, I always tell people this was born from my own mistakes. Like I am definitely not preaching here. Like I'm learning with you. I notice my own addictive patterns and behaviors and I'm seeing what is going to happen down the road when I have teenage kids who are going to say to me, I've watched you do it. Welcome to the Movable Podcast, where we interview using education, movement, and play from around the world. Here's your host, my daddy, Brian Lane. According to a recent study, the average American child spends four to seven hours a day in front of a screen. Adults spend about 11 hours in front of screens. Today's guest is the creator of Intentionally Unplugged, which aims to help families create healthy boundaries with with technology and create more opportunities for human connection. It is my pleasure to introduce Denise Rowland. Thank you, Denise, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So how did this get started? How did Intentionally Unplugged come about? You know, it was a really um, organic, authentic experience that, that... was really about my uh, four-year-old daughter at the time putting me in my place uh, hmm. about my screen use. We were, I'll, no, I'll never forget the day as long as I live, but we were standing in our kitchen and I was scrolling something. I really don't even remember what I was looking at. Obviously it was not important. And she just kept saying, mom, mom. And she's calling my name over and she's standing right next to me and she's poking at me. And I'm like swatting her, you know, like, like I'm looking at something Finally, she just reached a point of frustration and she was like, I'm talking to you. Please put down your phone. Wow. And um, it was like one of those moments where, you know, as as a health teacher, as a, a family and consumer sciences teacher, it it stopped me dead in my tracks. because It was like, all right, who is the adult educator here right now when I have a four-year-old who is schooling me on how to appropriately communicate like, and, and priorities. You know, She just became so frustrated and the words that she chose to use really struck me because she was right and my actions were wrong. And as an adult and a parent, I really needed to address that. So um, it turned into a conversation with her first and then led to me looking online to try to find uh, any kind of children's book that addressed a, a similar issue. Cause that, that's usually how I deal with things with our children. I'll, I'll go and look and see if there's an age appropriate story that we can read um, to address something that has come up. So yep. I had a little bit with her and then later that evening I was looking for a book. Um, and while I was able to find books about screens and screen use and technology, I was not able to find a book that spoke to like the priority of human connection first. So um, I decided to write one. 
Um, and, and please look up at me, uh, was born from that experience with Adelina. I started as a self-published author and all of a sudden we ended up on Fox news and, um, the local newspaper wanted to do a story. They heard about, um, a local teacher who wrote this book with her daughter and it became bigger than I had ever anticipated to make a mm -hmm. long story short. It, it started out as just being like a family lesson. And then it turned into something where it was like, wow, the response, um, it became so apparent that this really spoke to so many people that it was something that needed to be addressed for many, not just for me and my situation in our home. Uh, so then the book ended up getting picked up by mascot books and it's actually getting re-released to uh, retail in their edited version, which by the way is much more improved because I'm not an author. So it was I'm great that I went, I'm very happy that I went through that process, but it's getting released to retail December 8th. Awesome. And then, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, but then intentionally unplugged was born from all of that, just as uh, my background in education and in uh, school counseling and in health. I have a master's degree in school counseling as well as my teacher. Oh. Degree. So that gives you a really unique perspective for sure. It does. And, and it really is just where my passion has always um, fallen in, in the classroom with kids. And I've been teaching for close to 20 years now. Um, I always really have liked to make that special rapport and that relationship. And that's like the foundation of everything I do with mm. students. There's a real mutual respect and understanding we talk about family life in facts. We talk about um, human communication and, and values. So it really became more like pre professional development for me to really explore this and like what's going on with kids, Where? what's the lure? If I can't seem to control my own behaviors and I'm an educated, experienced adult and now parent, of course, kids are not going to be able to um, pull away from that lore. Exactly. I started reading more and more, and I read um, Adam Alter's Irresistible. Uh, and yeah. I'm not sure if you read that book, but it's a New York Times bestseller, and it is all about behaviorally uh, behavioral engineered technology. So technology as behavioral engineering uh, mm. for addiction. And... It really opened my eyes to, and this was before the social uh, dilemma that, that came out, yep. but it really opened my eyes to how we are in some ways, like we're engineering addiction. Yep. Um, and so I, I became very passionate about, you know, not so much that piece, but getting to the kids in a classroom environment and their families where we can start kind of talking about, hey, we're not going to call screen use bad because that's not true. You know, mm -hmm. like there are benefits to screen use and what we're doing right now, like I see your face, you see my face. This is very active communication. Yep. And, and in a time of COVID, thank goodness for that, right? Like, I know. It's necessary. Well, absolutely. So yep. in some ways, technology is such a gift. And so I'm never going to be anti-screen. I'm not going to be anti-technology. However, it's not all created equal. 
And I think that it's important. We've reached a real tipping point here with our families and our young people where we've started to see very clear indicators that their social and emotional well-being has started to really have, uh, you know, it's, it's falling. It's declining. Mm-hmm. It's, this technology, social media, in some ways, is having a real negative impact. So I'm, I apologize for the long-winded answer, but essentially, Intentionally Unplugged was my effort as an educator to try to speak to kids and their families about where we draw the line, what what's helping us and what is useful in our lives, what is harmful, and how to be aware of that addictive lure that might be someone else pulling our strings. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that addictive lure that you keep talking about, that's such a huge component in this because it's like anything else. It's like cigarettes. It's like alcohol. They're, it's like casinos. All of those things are made to get us addicted to it. And it's so easy with your phone. And it's so easy to be justified with emails and yeah, your, your phone, your TV. But I'm, I mean, TV seem to be less addictive for people nowadays than their own phone because their phone is right in their pocket. And yeah. it's hard for you. We don't want to be hypocrites. Like you said, we're, we're both educators and we both know the, the good uses of technology. We, we're both well aware of the bad uses of it, but it's so easy to get sucked into it. Well, the portability of it, absolutely. Like the portability of these devices really lends itself to the addiction. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's funny in, in the PE department or in a health department, it's interesting that you mentioned cigarettes because when I when I first started kind of, this was all unfolding in my brain a little bit, I immediately thought of, Morgan Spurlock and supersize me. Like I, mm. I immediately thought of, and then in his documentary, how he spoke of big tobacco and and the same concept there. And with supersize me at that time, it was trans fat and their and their allure in that way. And like, hey, for ten cents more, we can make it bigger. And in some ways, I do feel that this whole that this is very reminiscent of that. Yeah. Where initially, you know, there's that that the pendulum just swings and there's a real hook. But then people start saying, hey, you know, wait a minute, we swung it too far, let's pull it back. And I feel like that might be where we are right now, where where people are starting to have this awakening of like, let's unplug. What does that mean to unplug? Let's consciously or intentionally disconnect to reconnect to what counts. And that's, exactly what intentionally unplugged is Mm -hmm. so you have one daughter then or do you have more kids i have one daughter and two sons and she's my middle child yep oh and she's your middle okay so how old are your kids now they are five six and seven almost five six and seven wow okay yeah they're little guys so just at home then as far as let's let's go with phones have you seen phones have any sort of an impact on your three kids just in their home life at all They've had an impact on, on our three kids because of our use, our adult yeah. use. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, I definitely, and my husband does as well, we have to make a conscious effort to kind of, you know, hide our use. Uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I think of it. I have started to see this as, you know, uh, any other addiction, would you do it right in front of your kids? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think it's important in some ways to think of that, you know, 
If you went back, you know, decades ago, years ago, when people walked through the door at the end of the day at work, they hung up their keys, they dropped the briefcase, they entered the house, and then mm. that was it. Like, yep, work works over. Done, and you shift gears. And we've really lost that mm-hmm. with the portability of these devices. And it is my personal opinion that as a result, we're seeing a crumbling of the foundations of, of family life. And mm-hmm. uh, that is detrimental. I mean, we need to look at that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. There's there's one quote I wanted to bring up that there's there's a few of them that I found from you that I really like, especially on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one talks about screen time in school. So you said screens are holding our world together. So the question now isn't how do we eliminate screens, but rather how do we use screens in a positive and balanced way? And I think that's a really great question to talk about right now during this whole pandemic because all of us are trying to figure out how do we deliver quality instruction and have to use screens, but how do we keep these boundaries on them? Well, you know, when I have intentionally unplugged across my screen in my classroom, the number one response from from students and teachers alike that don't know about my curriculum or my program are like, isn't that somewhat of an oxymoron? You know, I'm, I'm looking at mm. the screen. I have my Chromebook in front of me here in class, but you're suggesting that I intentionally unplug. Like, how will yeah. I do that? You know, um, and it's a valid question. But I think that it's really important to address the answer by saying not all screen time is created equal. We have active screen time where we are like, we can look each other, we can see each other's facial expression and find um, eye contact, even though we're on the computer and we're online. We have engagement either cognitively or physically in your case in PE, you can use screens to get movement. And then you have like that passive use that is just scrolling and mindlessly absorbing information, oftentimes that just makes us feel bad or Mm -hmm. or puts us in some kind of state where we're, you know, constantly comparing or insinuating things based on what we see or writing things that, you know, could be perceived as being very hurtful. But when you're typing it from behind a screen, everything is just a lot easier to, to lash out, you know, so intentionally unplugged is not again about eliminating all screen use but rather opening up a conversation about hey you're going to school today and because of these COVID-19 restrictions we have to use screens and in this way it's going to help us but maybe TikTok maybe Snapchat maybe the social media apps that are making you kind of feel down and depressed and misinterpret things maybe they gotta go yeah like it's it almost is um a really great you know nutrition is a great metaphor that i like to refer to with this you know you got you have your fruits vegetables and whole grains that serve you well and then you have the other stuff that just doesn't serve you well makes you feel bad i think that it totally applies to technology as Mm -hmm. well so uh for me that quote refers to how it's not about telling kids and adults and families, get rid of the screens, get rid of technology. That's not what it's about, but rather it's about opening up a conversation for um, what is okay with us, what is serving us as a family unit and as individuals and what is not. And then Mm -hmm. defining your own boundaries that way. And it's not going to be the same for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point to make because everyone, some people need strict, just like with nutrition, like you said, mm-hmm. some people need very strict boundaries and some people can be a little more relaxed with it and not have it um, turn into a bad thing or a negative thing. Yeah, well, when you look at just personality traits and we're all different, for some people, you know, the lure is going to be strong. They may not be able to drive their car without putting it down. They may they may need to just put it away completely. Other people may be able to resist a little bit more. It's just, it's very individual. Age and development really plays a part as well, as does mm-hmm. family lifestyle. You know, I am never going to be the person that tells another mother hey, you know what? You shouldn't have your kids on an iPad while you're making dinner because that might be the only way that she can make dinner. You know, yeah. so I, I definitely um, with intentionally unplugged and never want to come across as a one size fits all model, but just more of um, being cognizant and aware of how not to let these new trends in our digital age interfere with the very fabric of our human connection. That should be the priority. Hmm. I think it's really interesting that you have that counseling background because I remember on that social dilemma movie, they talked about how I think they spoke with the guy who invented the like button or something like that. And he was saying how the, the intention behind it was just to spread positivity and, and have it be a great thing where people could like it and now it boosts everyone's mood. Mm-hmm. But then they noticed obviously a switch in that where kids were now committing suicide because they weren't getting enough likes. Yeah. So from your perspective as a counselor, how do you how have you seen the the mental side of this technology impact your kids and people at school? You know, I think on a a developmental um, level, kids are not able to field all of this stimuli coming at them. Um, they're they're very young. They have so much going on. They're at a fragile, especially teenagers are at a very fragile state in their lives where home, hormones are changing. Chemistry is changing. You know, they have family lives and things going on and just run of the mill everyday social stuff. It was never going to be socially appropriate for them to field all of this coming at them. And, and I don't know that it was necessarily intended for children, but even adults, I mean, I'm sure you've had experience. You kind of, you get sucked into that. Oh, hey, I put up a family picture. Like, how is this person not responding to it? You know, you do get sucked into that. The Mm -hmm. difference, I think, for adults, for healthy-minded adults, is that you can go ahead and continue on with your day. Um, And it is what it is. You shrug it off. I don't know that kids have the ability to do that. And Mm -hmm. when they are carrying or preoccupied with something, because Social stuff is everything to them. It's everything to them. And if they come in preoccupied about something like that on social media or a a photo wasn't liked or someone, you know, put up a rude comment or whatever, we are never going to be able to lift that cloud to teach them that day. Mm -hmm. um, From a counseling perspective, my thought is that it's too much for them to field and we need adult interference and monitoring for them because it's just too much on them. From an educator's perspective, I can see how uh, technology, specifically social media, is interfering with their ability to learn. Yeah, because like you said, they're, as kids, their identity is wrapped up in that social hierarchy in a way. Yeah. And what that's think of magnified that? with social media. 
Yeah. Yeah. What people think of them, you know, so they come into our class and we don't know, you know, the thing is the school day doesn't just end anymore. And then we see them Mm -hmm. the next day. It continues on and on and on. The interaction goes through the night. You know, they have these things next to their beds. They're not sleeping well because of Mm -hmm. of the screen and the constant scroll. And then, you know, as educators and adults, we don't really know what took place during the time at home. And in many cases, neither do the parents, because as we know, kids are going to be far more savvy with technology and apps and even getting around the um, the blocks and whatever we put on them to, to try yeah. to keep them secure. They figure out how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And that in itself speaks to the addictive element of it, you know? Yep, Exactly. So as a parent then at at home, do you have any suggestions for educating your own kids and creating healthy boundaries for screen time? I know that's the million dollar question and I know everyone has different situations, but there might be some general guidelines. I think that uh, for our house in general, uh, mealtime is like anytime when we're eating meals, it is a no technology, no screen zone, no TV on in the background, no, no phones out. We actually use a box, uh, an intentionally unplugged box. And we kind of like put everything in there. And I like that because it is a conscious choice that they see. And with children, my age, you know, habits are developing now and they're seeing that we're putting it away so that we can spend that time together. Um, in the bedrooms, I just, I feel strongly that screen shouldn't be in there. You know, that bedrooms are for sleeping, not on, we don't want to be charging our, our phones on the bedside because every alert, you know, that comes through, it's going to create a glow and we're going to be tempted when we get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom to check it. And then you find yourself checking your phone first thing in the morning before you even check in with your family, you know? Yeah. Um, so bedrooms and the dinner table, and those are the, the two biggest ones for us. So we, we definitely, if you're starting off small, those are the two that I would suggest. Yeah. All right. That's really good. I, um, I have come across a gab phone. Are you familiar with them? Yes. I heard about that too. Um, uh, I can't remember that guy's name. The one that just passed away. He he was part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Colin Karchner, who was just such a warrior in this field, really a wonderful man, very responsive to, uh, any kind of reaching out in this field and just, this is a huge, he was a huge loss uh, for this field. He did a tremendous amount of work and we're going to work hard to continue his efforts. But yes, he was a huge proponent of the Gab phone. So those phones have apps on them, right? But they don't have the traditional ones that you'd have on an iPhone or another smartphone. Yes, it's it's it looks just like a smartphone and acts just like a smartphone, but you know the social media, some of the apps that they're just they're not on there. Hmm. So and and a parent can really um, apply what they want and take away what they don't want. So it, it, it's a great avenue or great uh, place to start or look if you do have a teenager or someone that's approaching a phone use age and you don't want to dive right into a real smartphone because mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a socially acceptable option. And I think that that is really important when you're dealing with young people, you can't totally disregard what is socially acceptable for them because then they have the chance of feeling really isolated and that's real, you know, so mm-hmm. they have to 
peer and we have to provide them with coping mechanisms that are going to make them feel comfortable around their peers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's such a tricky thing to navigate because you want to stay true to your principles, your values, but at the same time, you don't want to just give in and give them an iPhone because all their other friends have it, but you also don't want to get them a, some flip phone that does nothing. And then their friends think they're a loser because they don't have a cool phone. And yeah. yeah, it's not easy to navigate. And that was probably the number one impetus, the number one reason behind uh, developing the intentionally unplugged digital wellness curriculum, which now we've launched and it's free and any educator that wants to use it can download. And uh, my thought process behind that was how can we all start the United Front together so that if it's done in the masses, if the kids get the information in the masses and the, and the families uh, get the information in the masses, then we all start doing it together, then you don't have that singling out, you know, mm. family has this different belief system. So I'm really hoping that we can get that curriculum into every school or every middle high school in the nation. And just, yeah. I, I envision it being like this kind of wave where we sweep through and I hope that it gets a positive response. So far it's been downloaded hundreds of times um, inside of just a few days since launch. So I, I'm hoping that we keep up the momentum and crossing fingers that maybe if we start addressing kids by classroom, you know, 20, 25 at a time, and they're all in it together, and we loop in the parents, then it's a great opportunity to start to make some changes that won't single anyone out. Yeah, I think that's a really key part of that is not singling people out and not singling out like we've already said a bunch of times that we're we're not saying we're anti-screen, right? But it's but it's okay to talk about the pros and cons of screens and build awareness around that. Yeah, and what? when it comes to moving, like how about you know taking it away, setting boundaries, and then experiencing things in your life that actually make you forget about it, you know, and mm -hmm. I, we have to kind of get back to that, having so much fun outside or, you know, playing a sport and getting so into it that I, you know what, I forgot about the yep. fact that, that I'm unplugged right now. And I think that, um, especially during COVID, so many of us haven't experienced that, like that yep. real totally into something that you've forgotten about it. And, Kids need to just have that again. They really do. Yep. Yeah, I know for me personally, the e it's easiest for me to forget about my phone when I leave it inside and I go outside. When I'm playing with my son outside, then I don't even think about it. But if yep. it's like you said, if it's on your nightstand or if it's, it's like having an open bag of candy right next to you wherever you go and, and not ever dipping your hand in there and eating it. It's yeah. almost impossible. So you, you have to separate yourself from it and find something else to do that where you're not thinking about it 24-7. It's very intentional. You, you yeah. really have to make an intentional choice to do it. And, you know, when you were talking, it reminded me of notifications. I would add that to my list as well. Like just getting rid of the note, you know, going into your notification settings and just getting rid of as many as you can so that you're not constantly having your phone, like notify you of an email yep. or a ping or a ping or a this, like just if you could quiet it down so that you're in charge of checking your phone rather than your phone being in charge of checking in with you, you know, like we, we really have to take back control. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that, so my, my, uh, generation, I guess, late twenties, early thirties, we, we didn't grow, grow up with phones when we were little or at right. least 
my friends didn't. So I didn't have my first phone until I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And I know things have changed dramatically since then. But so I didn't grow up with one. But once I started college, I had one. And then over the years, it's grown to be a part of me. It's in my pocket everywhere I go. I check it all the time. And now my generation are having kids. We're having kids of our own and we are becoming parents. But we're becoming parents while we already have that habit of having our phones on us 24-7. Yeah. So I just think that's a that's a crazy shift that now we have in our culture where us kids that are now parents don't think anything of it when we're on our phone because that's what we've always done. But now there's a kid next to us, like you said, that's saying, please just look up at me and look at me. Give me attention. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, really insightful that you're taking a look at that because the reality is that we have, you know, we have iGen, the generation of kids that doesn't know a world without these devices. So it's important that we don't take for granted the fact that they don't know any other communication than what they are seeing from us. So we, like me, meaning you and I, we know what healthy eye contact and, and uh, nonverbal communication, body language looks like. What they are being born into is wildly different mm-hmm. in some ways than what we experienced. And even, even if you look at like from birth, and this is addressed in the curriculum, and you look at the still face paradigm by Dr. Ed Tronic, which just basically highlights the fact that from birth, eye contact is a first part of communication with young babies, with newborn babies. And um, there's a piece of that study that was redone. And it's the still face paradigm with a device, because now we see these young mothers and fathers who are holding their infants with the phone in the other hands and they're scrolling, you know, and mom could be feeding her baby and her, she's looking someplace else. So mm-hmm. literally from the first days in many cases, kids are being born into a world where we're almost hardwiring them to believe that these things take precedence, you know, yep. these things in our hand take precedence and priority over them. So how can we possibly start to convince them that people matter more as they approach, you know, 10, 11, 12, you see, it's really hard to undo that. Yeah. You know, so it's important that we kind of lay that foundation as early on as possible. And that's really so much of what I'm standing for with this right now, just educating and empowering and giving them the knowledge of, of what matters the most and carving out that quality time. Yeah. Yeah, because that image that you talked about, you see that everywhere and we're all of us are guilty of doing that. But it's it's so easy for me personally to notice it in everybody else, but yeah. not notice it in myself. And it, it's always a reminder, like I notice when I go into a waiting room at a doctor's office or even do a playground, you see parents find a bench, they take out their phone immediately, their kids are running around and they're on their phone. And it, I remember before we had a kid, I would, I would look at them and I'm like, how could they do that? Their kids are running around. Aren't they worried if someone's going to kidnap them or they're going to get hurt? But then when you become a parent, as soon as you sit down, it's so easy just as a gut reaction and a reflex, just to take your phone out. Well, that's what it is. You know, it's, it's like, Hey, wait a minute. In so many of those circumstances, it's it's simply an innocent habit or, um, an addiction or just something that you do. So, um, it's a great way to just kind of like 
rewire your thinking or rewire your intentions and be like, this is what I would normally do. I would normally reach for my phone and just scroll, but instead I'm just going to be and look mm-hmm. up and, and check out the trees and look at my child and watch for their laughter. And, you know, cause what's sad is that kids are looking for us, you know, they're, they're like, Hey mom, Hey dad, look what I can do. Or even if they're not being vocal, you can bet that they are looking up from that slide or that swing. And every time they look up to look at you, look at something else, it sends them a message, whether yep. we want to admit it or not. And mm-hmm. it's not easy to talk about. And that's why I, straight off the bat, I always tell people this was born from my own mistakes. Like I am definitely not preaching here. Like I'm learning with you. I notice my own addictive patterns and behaviors and I'm seeing what is going to happen down the road when I have teenage kids who are going to say to me, I've watched you do it for the past decade. Um, And I'm just thinking about that now and trying to get everyone on board and it's emotional you know it's like wow we got to look at this i don't i don't want my three kids to look at me one day and be like for the past decade this is what i've watched you do how are you going to tell me not to do it Mm -hmm. so and i i appreciate your honesty with that too because it's it would be really easy to set up a program like this and and make it sound like it's all about everybody else and not about you or not about myself and we all know that we're guilty of it i mean again we these things, these screens, these devices are designed for us to be addicted. You talked about the notifications. They, How many times when you have an app or anything on your phone, do they constantly remind you or ask you, turn notifications on so yeah. that you stay glued to whatever it is they're trying to feed you with it? Yeah, yeah. So I just, I think that um, with all of this, we just have to keep in mind that growth really takes place in learning from our mistakes, you know, and and learning from what doesn't work or is starting to show us that it's not working. And if we look at the stats on kids and mental, emotional health, and even adults, you know, very affected by some of this screen use, some, you know, not able to function because of addiction to video games or, you know, depression with comparison, constant comparison with social media and everything. I mean, this it's just, it needs to be looked at. We have the social dilemma. We, you know, I didn't expect that all of that would unfold, you know, right around the time when I was um, releasing and launching all of these projects. But, mm-hmm. you know, it really, it works in my favor. It works to our benefit because yep. the more we can talk about this, the better it is for everyone. Mm-hmm. So. so, So one other thing I wanted to make sure I talked to you about is, you and I both use social media to promote what we're doing with my podcast and getting kids moving and active and you with intentionally unplugged and screen use and everything. And viewers, fans, whatever you want to call them, people who are interested in what we do, there's a certain amount of transparency I think that they like to see from people that they follow. Yeah. So personally, I'm a very private person with what I do. But at the same time, I realize that I don't want to come across as just some robot through social media that doesn't have a family or any kind of personal life. Yeah. Now, the trick is, though, one post I saw you make that I really liked is you called it sharenting. And you said, can parents share too much about their kids? Mm -hmm. So that's another tricky balance that we have to try to find because some, and in some ways in the business that we're in, 
it's a necessary evil to do something like that. But at the same time, we can probably easily share way too much about our personal lives and our kids. Yeah. Well, something that Colin actually said, and it, it stuck with me and there is no way that I'm going to be able to say it as eloquently as he did. But essentially he said something along the lines of, you know, it's great that you always post your kids home runs every time they make a home run. But what happens when your child starts to pick up on the fact that it's not good enough when they strike out to be posted, like, and, and they start to internalize how there's a certain amount of perfectionism that you need to achieve in order for it to be worthy of sharing or, and, um, yeah, it is. Wow. Right. Yeah. That's good. It is really wow. And that it came from something that he said, and I have to say, he didn't say it just like that, but the crux of what he was saying was along the lines of, you know, Hey, look, if we're going to put everything out there, like at least be authentic, you know, Mm -hmm. don't don't start messing with other people's heads with all of this, like perfection facade, because you know what, that your kids carry that too, eventually, even if it's not in the moment, what do you do years from now when they're able to track like, only their highest achieving moments ever got made. And, and what does that do? Like, what does mm-hmm. that do to a person? What does it send to the world? Is that authentic? Is that real? So I agree with what you say that there is like this really, it's a double-edged sword here. You're trying to grow a message. You're trying to grow a business. Um, I try to remain very cognizant of uh, whether or not one day something that I put up would embarrass my children, put pressure on my children, um, feel not authentic or, or fake or staged. Hmm. I, I think of that often and I just try to keep them off it as much as possible. Um, for family's sake, there are family members that live far away and sometimes we share pictures and we really kind of gravitate more towards using albums in our phone or like old school Shutterfly and like sending people out. I just, I don't love using social media as the platform through which to do that. There's privacy issues, there's security issues, but there's also issues of one day potentially having a son or daughter who says, I didn't, I didn't want that all out about myself. And now I'm trying to apply to this college or whatever. And like all of this is accessible. Mm-hmm. About me. And that wasn't, it wasn't a choice. Everyone's different. You know, some people are way more laid back about it, but especially from the material perspective to what people have, what people don't have nice clothes, the big toys, what they got on Christmas. Just personally, I'm very careful about things like that because yep. I hate for something that I put up to be internalized in a hurtful, harmful way for somebody else. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And that it's it's so insightful to think about the future in that way, because I don't think we've really seen the impact of all the sharing that we've all been doing for years, because social media has not been as popular as, as it is now for long enough for that to really come through and, and see the effects of it. So I think if we can try to get ahead of it now, like you're saying, and, and avoid posting all of those things that are all the kind of home run type posts, then hopefully we don't end up going down that road. Yeah. You know, it's, it's 
goes back to like a different level of tolerance and how every single person is different and their intentions are different. But I, I think that ultimately every person needs to look at their intentions behind the post. If you are about to share your child's birthday party and your birthday party is like over the top and it's got this and that, well, what are the intentions behind that? And that, that is a perfect example of another trap that I, I've been there. I have done that. Mm. I had the big over the top birthday party and then realized like a year later, you know what? There's something to be said for a simple cake at home with a candle in it and your family around you. And like, what am I doing this for? Is it really for the intention of my child and like our family and the better interest, or is it for someone else to see? And I think if you can come to terms with your personal responses to those kinds of questions, then you have your answers, you know, as to whether or not you should be putting it out there. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Cause if, if social media didn't, didn't exist, would our decisions change? Would the way we approach things change? I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps yeah. not. It depends on each individual person. And it's, it is very personal. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, Denise. That was a lot of really cool um, conversations we had about that stuff. Cause I can, I can nerd out about screen use and all that stuff for hours just because I'm so passionate about it. And, it, yeah. and again, I don't want it to come across as being anti-screens and hating all that, but I just, I know my own personal struggles with it. I know what I see in the people around me and I know how difficult it is to establish boundaries with it. So I just think it's it's really cool to hear your perspective as a counselor, as an educator, as a mom. So it was, it was great. Thank you very much. And it's it's all still developing. You know, we're learning through this process together. There's no right or wrong answers. It's about really taking a look at our own personal intentions and what works for us and what doesn't. So again, one more time before we um, close this, do you want to talk about some of the um, however you want to put it, I guess the things that you're able to offer others, you have a book, you have curriculum, you have other resources online. Yeah. So, um, I think that my, my baby, the biggest Mm -hmm. one for me is the curriculum that just got launched. It's, it's free. It's on my, uh, website, intentionallyunplugged.com. And if you go to, uh, the resources, the curriculum is right there and you can download it and literally, Teachers can execute it in their class immediately. It needs nothing. It comes with a teacher's guide. um, And it really addresses for kids, I'd say grades 6 through 12, about the differences between um, different types of screen use and uh, how it's related to the way that we connect to one another, how it can help us connect how screen use can interfere with our connection, what works, what doesn't. And I think that I would love to see, as I said, the curriculum get into as many middle and high schools as possible so that this can really serve as um, a united front across the board for kids to kind of all start making these changes together and no one feels singled out. Uh, On an elementary level, Please Look Up at Me is a great book also available on my website. And that is um, a wonderful conversation starter for families, especially that just don't know where to start. Like, okay, we've made some mistakes. We've gone down the wrong road. Like, how do we open up this conversation with our kids now and start 
new habits and make our own guidelines. The book is perfect for that. And it has um, an activity and questions in the back to go over with your kids to help them kind of, um, you know, understand the content and the information because this is a, this is a mature issue. So when Mm -hmm. you're young kids, um, it just provides pointed questions to get them thinking about how they feel when um, mommy or daddy are not around the screen versus when they're just, you know, all together. So check out that book and the curriculum would be great. That's awesome. Because from a parent's perspective, that's a very vulnerable place to put yourself in with your kids. But I think your kids will appreciate that more than anything, that you're not trying to hide something from them or make it seem like you don't do this. But yeah, no, it's more about like, hey, you know, how can we start healthier choices together? Like, Mm -hmm. let's talk about this. Let's look at this. And how are these phones and these screens making us feel when we're together? So uh, follow along at Intentionally Unplugged on Instagram. And thanks so much for the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. Ironically, um, we're expecting our daughter to be born really any day now. Her due date is two weeks from now. But yep, so our second child should be born soon. Wow, uh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And I didn't plan on this, but as as it has approached, this episode when this airs will be my last episode before I'm intentionally unplugging from podcasting and just taking a break for a little while so I can enjoy just having a newborn at home. There for no months. such thing. There's no such thing as coincidence like that. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's going to work out great because this is the last one that I'll do. And it's a, it's great talking to you about this. And now I can actually put it into practice and yeah, take some time off away from the screens and technology. Enjoy every second of it. You can't get your time back, so use it wisely.